The big question that every writer has is, how can I sell more books? Or if they're not published yet, it's how can I write books that sell? But when writers approach selling books from a numbers perspective, they're missing out on the amazing relationships they could be building with readers through their stories. It's impossible to write books that resonate with readers when you're writing for money, because money can't read. But shouldn't writers be able to make a living with their stories? Well, when you connect with human souls, readers turn into fans and friends, and that's when consistent income begins. That and so much more. But how do writers connect with readers? That is the question this podcast aims to answer. My name is Kristen Spencer, and this is the Expensive Words Podcast. Today we are going to talk about the idea of suspension of disbelief. And the reason we're going to talk about that today is because earlier when I was driving my oldest daughter to her cross-country practice, she said, Mom, I thought of a plot hole. And you have to understand that in my family, this is kind of a normal conversation because of who I am and what I do and because of the people that I'm around. Uh, So she was very excited to tell me that in Instant Family, there's a nail gun that shoots someone in the foot. And uh, Instant Family is a really great movie, by the way, if you haven't seen it. It's about the foster system and adoption and all of those complicated but worthwhile things. So if you haven't seen it and you think it sounds interesting or you really like Mark Wahlberg, I would say go for it. So there's this part where this person gets shot in the foot with a nail gun and my daughter's been using a nail gun recently because she's helping my husband and I on our student housing renovation, which I mentioned a few episodes ago. And so she understands that in order for the nail gun to work, two things have to happen. First, it has to be pressing against something because there's a little trigger uh, on the front that presses against where the nail is going to go into the wall or the piece of wood or whatever. And then you have to pull the trigger as well or no nail will come out. It's a safety mechanism. And so she's like, well, the gun fell. And even though it pressed against his foot, there was no one pulling the trigger. So the nail wouldn't have shot out. And I was like, okay, that's true. But we need to talk about the idea of suspension of disbelief because that was the most simple way for them to move the plot forward. So we're not going to get mad at them about that, right? The whole rest of the movie was good, right? And she's like, yeah, I love that movie. It's one of those things where we have this expectation for everything to be exactly the way that it is in real life, but storytelling doesn't always work that way. And so the idea of the suspension of disbelief comes into play when we as a reader or observer or viewer or listener know that something's not exactly right the way that the storyteller has chosen to tell it. But for the sake of the story, we're willing to put that aside, put it up on a shelf somewhere so that we can keep indulging in the story that the storyteller wants us to know. That little nail gun observation that my daughter made, okay, true, she was right. That's not the way that a nail gun operates. And they, you know, tricked the system a little bit. Or maybe they could say, oh, well, they were using a really old nail gun. It would have to be super old. So when writers make these choices, it's because they have a reason. There's a need they have. And they can't fill it easily by doing something real. And in this case, that is 
that something needed to happen to that character. Uh, the nail gun seemed to, seemed to be an obvious choice because it was in play in the scene. And so instead of doing something else, instead of creating some other situation, they decided to have the nail gun go off without both safety mechanisms engaged. And we're okay with that. Like, for me, I'm okay with that. And when I asked my daughter, are you okay with that, you know, in light of the fact that the story is really good and rich and complex, and this is just a little tweak that they made to move the plot forward, and she said yes. So she didn't realize, (laughs) she was like, what are you talking about? Suspension of disbelief. We have to take things into consideration besides just factual events when we're telling a story. And one of the most important things that we have to get right, and if we get wrong, it makes readers mad, is pacing. You can write yourself into this corner where you have a situation in your book and you need to move the plot forward, but you have to kind of fudge it a little bit for things to happen the way they need to happen. And I really... I know I talk about Artemis a lot. If you've like watched any of my webinars, Artemis by Andy Weir was a significant letdown for me and uh, because I love The Martian. And the thing is that in Artemis, I can tell that there were these wheels turning in Andy's head, right? That he wanted this thing to happen later that was really big and dramatic, But in order for the thing that he wanted to happen, I'm trying not to give spoilers if you haven't read it, he had to make characters be like momentarily not who they were and ignore things that they never would have ignored. And if you've read Artemis, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the the thing was, it was too big of a leap. I was not willing to suspend my disbelief that much because he wanted to do something cool, which contributed to the protagonist being a hero. I actually didn't like the protagonist anyway. I wasn't rooting for her at all at any point in the story. Uh, So that's also, that was also a big letdown. But so you have to kind of balance it out because pacing is very important and you need to make sure that there are no like, so for example, in Artemis, If Andy Weir would have said, okay, well, in order to make this happen, I need to have a subplot where all these people who are supposed to know this thing that they're going to forget, get captured and uh, maybe knocked out or something else, and it would have wrecked the pacing of the book. And so what he should have done, and I'm sorry, Andy Weir, to say this, he should have written, rewritten the book. He should have hired a developmental editor to help him understand that this this suspension of disbelief is too great and people are going to notice it and there's no way to fix it without messing with the pacing. So that means you need a rewrite. That's what that means. If there are like two really important elements of your book that you have to compromise on in order to get the book done, you have to rewrite the book. That's the thing. And the reason you would hire a developmental editor in his case is to help rewrite the book most efficiently at that point. It's like a give and take, right? Because in the situation of Artemis, it was pacing and suspension of disbelief. But in other books, it might be something else. Books also get really complicated sometimes, right? Like this is why I'm always a huge advocate for plot outlines, and character profiles. 
because that way you don't forget where you're going along the way. And if one of your characters talks back and they do something they shouldn't do, you can adjust the outline instead of having to go and adjust every paragraph and sentence and word that you've written. There are complicated stories, and I'm going to give you an example, which uh, I'm going to talk about Maria again. If you don't know who Maria is, she works for Literary Symmetry with me. We're both editors, and we're both time travel junkies. That's what I'm going to say. That's how I'm going to describe us. So she's my bestie, and we both really love time travel stories, And I sent her recursion uh, as a late Christmas present, the same copy I had read, which is fun, I think. And she found a mistake in it because that's the kind of reader she is. She remembers like everything, which is why I'm so glad she's my editor and not just my reader. Because if I had to put a book in front of her that someone else had edited, uh, I would be pretty nervous. So she read recursion and she found... A tiny, I mean, I'm going to say it was a tiny plot hole because it didn't really affect the outcome of the entire story, but it was wrong, okay? And that's not good either. And some people will say that uh, small plot holes should be allowed under the suspension of disbelief, but that's not really what the suspension of disbelief is for. It's not for mistakes. It's for choices. It's for conscious choices that the writer makes so that the reader can have a good storytelling experience. A mistake is something that happens on accident that was not a conscious choice. And therefore, I do not personally believe that I should suspend my disbelief for a mistake. Uh, If you're wondering, how can I put this abstract idea into a less abstract uh, way of thinking? I'm going to talk about Paddington Bear, which I love talking about Paddington Bear. I love Paddington Bear. I grew up reading the books and having the books read to me, and I've enjoyed watching the film versions uh, with my kids, and Paddington 2 is a great example of a flat uh, character arc because Paddington's character arc is flat, and I know we've talked about that before, at least uh, in Write the Perfect Read, the fiction edition. This is what suspension of disbelief means. Paddington is a bear. Okay? Can bears make jam? No, they can't. At least I don't think they can. I've never seen a real bear make jam. You know, smushing raspberries or blueberries or whatever, that doesn't count as making jam, okay? Because Paddington actually makes marmalade. And also, bears cannot live in a flat in London. Maybe bears can live in the zoo in London, but bears, they cannot talk. They cannot build meaningful relationships based on deep intimacy and conversation with human beings. And those are things that Paddington Bear does. So we suspend our disbelief because we want to enter, we want to enter into a compelling story with amazing characters who teach us something. And that's the goal of Paddington Bear. And I would argue that Paddington's books, his stories, his films, they all uh, successfully achieve that goal to connect with readers and to teach them something. That is a conscious suspension of disbelief where I'm like, okay, in my brain, in my mind, 
I understand that bears cannot converse with people and that bears cannot cook and that bears cannot change people's personalities or lives or impact all of the characters that exist around them, people around them. I understand that's true. However, I am willing to suspend my disbelief because I want to enter into this amazing story that engages me, it makes me feel things, and uh, in the case of Paddington, it teaches me things, right? Because I learned things from Paddington growing up because he was a fixture during my childhood. When you're a kid, you don't think about the suspension of disbelief, right? But as my now teenage daughter proves, as you get older, you start to think about it more. It's something that's coming from the back of your mind and developing, and then it comes into consciousness. And that's what I experienced today uh, during the car ride with my daughter. So I would argue that if the story is good, if the pacing is convincing, if the characters seem like they're trying, that's what I want, right? I want characters that try. Then I am willing to suspend my disbelief. For example, uh, we watched the one and only Ivan uh, that came out on Disney Plus, I think last week. And it's about something that's based on a true story. It says inspired by a true story of a gorilla that was rescued from poachers and he was raised in captivity. The, the point of the story is that Ivan can make art. In the film, the, story, the storytellers that uh, created the screenplay decided that they were going to allow the animals to speak and interact with each other, which is not real in the inspired true story, right? This story is real, but animals cannot dialogue with each other in the way that the animals were portrayed in the film. But we're willing to suspend the disbelief that animals can talk because we want to go on the ride. We want to interact with the story. And that is what happens in that film. And it's good. I thought it was a really interesting film. To me, the film did what it was supposed to do. It entertained my family and I for two hours. I think that's how long it was. It was long. Uh, and we had a discussion afterwards like we normally do about movies. And that's one of the things that is very important for us to do when we interact with media is not just to solely interact with it but to take that experience and compare it with the experience of others and that's one of the ways that we learn that's the one of the ways that we can expand our thinking it's good it's always good to discuss things and to interact with stories and the idea of the suspension of disbelief is an important one and it's one that you will face as an author and you will have to make a conscious choice about whether you're going to write something exactly the way it is or you're going to make little tweaks that you try to make them make as much sense as possible so that you can keep your pacing on track and so you don't go down the, uh, the abyss that can be precise fact representation. For example, I was researching for Plunge Into Darkness and I spent almost a day learning what the process would be to skin a goat because ever has a goat and the goat gets injured 
and then dies, and they end up making Evers' medical bag out of the goat skin, which is a precious possession for her and comes into play later on in the story. But I didn't want to go into all the details of how they tan the skin and cure it and make it so that you can actually sew it. And, you, of course, they would have to use a punch. They would hand sew the leather bag, which is an art, and my husband does leather working, so I know how frustrating it can be, and also I cannot pull, hand pull those threads through. Uh, I love to sew, but my hands are just too weak for leather working. So these are all things I was thinking about as I was writing, but it's not reflected in the book because that would wreck the pacing. It's not important for the reader to know the exact process of how the family's dead goat turned into Olive's medical bag, right? They don't need to know all the nuances of that. So in this case, I chose to leave some details out. I got them as close to exact as I could given the materials that Evers Culture has, but I wasn't going to put that much time and effort into making it be exactly correct. And I'm trusting that my reader will suspend their disbelief uh, that, you know, in this culture where Olive lives, they don't have all these, ac- they don't have, the chemicals do not exist, right, that we use for modern tanning practices. So I was very vague. I chose some ancient practices for tanning skins and curing leather. Uh, but, you know, I'm trusting that the audience is going to be okay with my decision because it's not that important. And of course, I know that uh, when you write a book that reaches thousands of readers or tens of thousands of readers or hopefully hundreds of thousands of readers, that there will be a person who is an expert in taking a dead goat and turning them into a piece of leather, and they're going to notice that I got it wrong. But not many of my readers will notice that. So I decided that I'm going to make that decision And for the one reader who is upset that I didn't get it exactly right, I guess all I can say is, I'm sorry, but you are the only reader out of thousands of readers who would have actually cared about that detail, and everyone else would have thought it was boring, and they would have wanted to stop reading and put my book down. And that's the opposite of what I want. It's a numbers game. Part of suspension of disbelief is a numbers game. You have to think about the overall target audience that you want to reach, and then you have to consider the few handful of people that are going to be upset that you didn't get it just right. And you're always going to want to go with the thousands of readers who you will bore. You're going to want to side with them because you want to have people read your books, and if you make everyone else mad and you keep those five readers, what's the point? Why are, why would you make that decision? For me, I'm not going to make that decision because I care about my readers and I'm going to do my best and leave room for the suspension of disbelief, which I give other writers and I give, you know, showrunners and film producers, I give them that. I would have given Andy Weir that for Artemis if he had not betrayed my trust in such a dramatic way. I guess is how I want to say that. Because as a reader and someone who is engaging with entertainment, I give other artists the suspension of disbelief. I suspend my own disbelief. 
I expect that other people will give me that too. It's basically, for storytellers, the suspension of disbelief boils down to being the benefit of the doubt, right? That's what it is. When it's okay to go along with the author, when it's okay to go along as the person who's being entertained, to enter into this thing knowing it's not exactly right, but there's a reason, there's a choice for that, and I'm going to be okay with it. On the other hand, when Maria found the mistake in Blake Crouch's book, Recursion, it was just a mistake. It was not a conscious decision, and I can understand why readers get upset about that. And for all of you who are nervous, for all of my lovely writers who are nervous about making a reader upset, I will say this. Just do your best. That's what I tell my kids almost every day when they're struggling through the craziness that is COVID-19 education, right? Because they're going to school or they're not going to school and it's really rough on them. And I'm like, you know, it's the same rule we always have. Just do your best. And that's what I want you to do, my wonderful writer. Do your best. And the reader is going to give you the suspension of disbelief. And if you make a small mistake, it's okay. If you make a giant Artemis-sized mistake, it's okay too. Because guess what? That's what developmental editors like me are for. That's what copy editors are for. They're not going to tell you how to fix it, but they'll point it out to you. That's why you need a really good team of supportive professionals and friends around you, writing friends, not just friend friends, uh, to help you through because this is a journey and you're going to have to make choices and you will make mistakes. But if you just do your best and you have the right support people, you're going to get through it. That's the show for today. I hope you found it helpful. And I will talk to you again tomorrow. So until then, bye. This has been Kristen on the Expensive Words podcast, pouring out my heart for you, my wonderful listener. If there's any question you want to ask me, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can go to expensivewords.com or you can find me on Instagram at kristen.n.spencer. And I would love to hear your wonderful writing thoughts from your amazing writing brain. Happy writing.